0: I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands.
1: Every day some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows, mistakes and triumphs, but always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This
0: is Unfinished Biz. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, Leandra Medine, founder and CEO of the fashion media brand Man Repeller will share the unconventional path that led her to launch a business she didn't even know she wanted. And fittingly, it all started in a dressing room.
2: She's like, look at the clothes that you're about to try on at the fitting room at Topshop. And I had this like big sequin blazer with huge shoulder pads and acid wash jeans. And I was like, these are great clothes. And she's like, they're the reason you're still single. And I was like, this is a great idea for a blog because this is such an irreverent and subversive way to approach feminism and talk about female empowerment.
1: Today, Man Repeller covers fashion, lifestyle, beauty, trends. But as the founder of a homegrown company with a very memorable name, Leandra has bigger plans.
2: I want it to outlive me and it should outlive me because it's an important property and it's... It's comfort for some women and it's inspiration for others and maybe it's a brain break for others, but when I think about what I want it to be, it's so much bigger than just a media brand that lives online.
0: Man Repeller. Wayne, the first time I brought that name to your attention, did you have any idea what I was talking about? I had no idea whatsoever. (laughs) You seem really excited about it, so I just played along. I could tell that there was a lot of confusion there. Uh, I could see you piecing together man, repeller. Obviously, you know, it's not about repelling men.
1: It really is all about confidence. Exactly. It's about not conforming to society's expectations and blazing your own path,
0: which is exactly what Leandra's done. She's not one of those people who was dead set on starting her own business. She actually just kind of fell into it.
1: Yeah, she started her own blog uh, after getting a journalism degree to really pad her resume, but then it turned out to be a great company. And seven years later, it's a force within the industry. So we had a chance to catch up with Leandra in New York during Fashion Week and learn what Man Repeller is directly from Leandra herself.
2: I launched Man Repeller in 2010, but it was an accidental launch. I was a junior in college studying journalism at the New School, and I looked around one of my nonfiction classes one day and... I looked around the classroom and I thought to myself that there were so many very competent writers in the class that we would probably all be applying for similar jobs the following year and that a lot of them were more competent writers than I was. And I knew that I was a decent writer and that I had a story to tell and that I could be an engaging writer, but I didn't see why I would be any more hireable than anyone in the class. So I launched this website, Man Repeller, uh, about two months after I had returned from my semester abroad in Paris where I was keeping another blog that was just chronicling my time there.
1: Why, why the name Man Repeller?
2: Well, it was sort of self-descriptive. I was at a very unique inflection point in my romantic life where I thought I was hot shit because I was dating three people simultaneously. <laughs> and this had been going on for the sum of let's say six months and I was like this is great all these guys love me and then it occurred to me probably too late that none of them actually wanted to date me I was like oh they're all seeing me casually but it's been six months and because none of them wanted to commit, you know? And it wasn't that I didn't want a boyfriend, it was just that I was going with the flow for too long. And I started to complain about it to a close friend of mine and she was like, why are you surprised? You're such a man repeller. She's like, look at the clothes that you're about to try on at the fitting room at Topshop. And I had this like big sequin blazer with huge shoulder pads and acid washed jeans. And I was like, these are great clothes. (laughs) And she's like, they're the reason you're still single. and I was like, this is a great idea for a blog because this is such an irreverent and subversive way to approach feminism and talk about female empowerment. And in that moment, I felt so in control of my uh, love life. I was like, this is a choice that I'm making because I don't want to compromise how I look. So that makes it okay that I'm still single because it's not their choice, it's my choice. So I launched the site. Uh, I didn't, I had no idea that I could turn it into a business that it would ever be able to turn into anything other than a pet project that I was doing, I wanted to use it as a resume booster to help me when I applied for jobs. It very quickly started gaining traction. I think that was a result of equal parts timing and luck. It was 2010, so there were already a number of very popular fashion blogs on the internet, such as Brian Boy, Sea of Shoes, Fashion Toast. And so the market was ready to consume something that was still relatively new but no one was doing fashion in a niche capacity. And Man Repeller was so specific and so pointed, it was only about fashion that was man repelling. It it didn't cover anything else. And as a result of that, it earned followers very quickly. And different publications like Refinery29 and the Daily News and the New York Times picked it up really quickly and I started monetizing it much sooner. Well, I never thought I was gonna monetize it, so I started monetizing it almost immediately, but not as a media property. I was more monetizing myself. And I would say that from 2010 until probably 2014, I was, the only reason Man Repeller was profitable is because of me as an influencer. Like I was getting paid to show up at events and I wasn't selling ads or anything. And
1: it was was just the website at that point with Mm -hmm. your blog.
2: Yeah, it was just right. manrepeller.com. That's right. Instagram didn't even exist yep. when I launched. Uh, the reason that I turned Man Repeller into a media property is actually because of Instagram. When Instagram launched the following, the following year, I think it launched in 2011, because even though in the beginning I wasn't really posting very many pictures of myself on Man Repeller, I noticed that every time I did post anything of myself, it did significantly better than the pictures of anyone else or just the fashion commentary because you know the internet is so voyeuristic so I started posting more pictures of myself because I wanted more traffic you know you start getting addicted to the growth <laughs> and then once Instagram launched I Man Repeller was essentially a personal style blog but I realized that through Instagram you could reap all of the benefits of reading the blog from your mobile device and yet here I was with a journalism degree, the ability to understand what works and what doesn't, and enough of a strategic mind to at least start a business. So I started thinking a lot more aggressively about how to grow Man Repeller beyond just myself. Man Repeller was really literal at first. It was a site about trends that women love and men hate, period. But the nature of my writing is such that I like to get really deep and into it, um, I'm really interested in what makes women feel comfortable or uncomfortable, and really shedding or not shedding, but shining light on people's vulnerabilities and what makes them human. And I think that has always bled through in my writing. And as as I was building Man repeller and as it was growing, that became more and more important. And so it feels much more now well definitely more now but even you know when i started thinking about hiring it occurred to me that men repeller was more than just a website about trends women love and men hate it's an attitude it's an actual lifestyle and it can be much bigger than just what's on someone
1: more than what's what someone's wearing
2: yeah what's on someone's person but also what's on the website
0: one of the things that's interesting to me is that obviously you have this journalism degree and now all of a sudden you've got this burgeoning business and you're you know running running a, a company so how did you how did you go about doing that that's uh, you know it's a fir- it's a first-time entrepreneur
2: that part has been so hard it's so hard <laughs> when yeah. you wh- well I'm, i mean it's hard no matter what whether or not you have business experience you've built things and sold things you've gone to business school but the management piece has been such a challenge for me and trusting my gut and my instinct and not giving so much power to my doubts because that's so easy also. And is part of the reason I think I'm quite risk averse uh, has been really challenging. Some days it feels soul crushing and like I'm not living my own life, but for the most part, I know that it's making me a stronger individual. So I just power through it. But I don't, I mean, I don't know what to say other than that the last four years have been so tough like if you're managing a business you are micromanaging. You're supposed to be managing people. You know what I'm not great at? Managing people. I'm I'm very impatient and I like things the way I like them and s- sometimes it's hard for me to give credit to people when they deserve it because things were done not the way I would have done them. So it's it's not great. It's when you are when you're a creative person a quote-unquote visionary, like a, like a true founder, it's really hard to force yourself into the role of CEO.
0: And it's, it's honestly something that we see all the time, too, because so many of our the businesses that we work with, you know, these folks are oftentimes first-time entrepreneurs. They've got a phenomenal idea, but they went from sort of building a business of three people to all of a sudden having 50 people And all of a sudden you're, you know, 80% of your day is on HR or something HR related. And it's, it's kind of a different job.
2: Yeah. And it it really, it starts to chip away at your soul if you're a creative person. And that's why writing has remained so important for me and recording my podcast has been really uh, valuable. But the other thing is that I don't want to delude myself into thinking that I'm the best CEO for Man Repeller. I think I have this idea of what a CEO is supposed to do and how they're supposed to look and present themselves. And um, because I'm not as well versed in hiring for business positions, I don't trust myself as much.
1: Being a CEO of a company, what was the progression of of the stages of how you built your, your team?
2: So I was working with a developer who was coding my site and into the gloss and he worked with a salesperson. So they would, develop, they would code the sites, meaning they built both of our sites, and then they'd also sell the ad inventory on the sites. The developer went in-house with Into the Gloss, and the salesperson came in-house with me. And so she started selling the site for me, and for, from 2012 until like mid-2013, the team was her, myself, a writer, and an assistant. And then we hired a second salesperson, and then we hired another writer. And last summer, I made a decision to start to take a risk <laughs> and start <laughs> spending down our operating budget. Because Man Repeller is self-funded, and it's been a profitable, you know, healthy lifestyle business for as long as it's been around. But uh, I'm ready for it to be more than that, and I want it to be more than that. So uh, we started... Poaching people from different properties, we hired a a, a brand and partnership director out of Upworthy who 'd been at college humor previously. We hired a data person from BuzzFeed, uh, a business operations person also from BuzzFeed. so really, the growth has started happening in the last like year, and it wouldn 't be fair for me to continue running it independently. It feels um, not it feels, but I want it to outlive me and it should outlive me because it's an important property and it's, it's comfort for some women and it's inspiration for others and maybe it's a brain break for others. But when I think about what I want it to be, it's so much bigger than just a media brand that lives online. What I have to do now is, is double down on what of those pieces is the most lucrative and makes the most sense and focus on that.
0: So it sounds like you're taking additional risks at this point in time, and thinking about bolstering the team. Do You think that at some point in time, sort of a uh, a more seasoned CEO is is uh, in the cards.
2: Yes, I'm actively looking for one right now. I think that's probably the most important first step that I need to take in my quest to take more risks. <laughs> uh, and following that, I'm not I'm not sure that we can remain self-funded for very much longer particularly if we do travel the product route but even if we don't even if what's in the cards is some version of a membership if it's just you know continuing to perpetuate and grow this media property because it really is filling a void that the glossies of my time that used to be the sort of Bible no longer really satisfy or fulfill
1: what what are the existing revenue streams for Man Repeller
2: Integrated editorial, which is essentially native ads, most of the ad marketing that we do on Man Repeller is custom. I would say that's about 80% of our revenue. The rest breaks up between event, affiliate, and some product.
1: So when you make appearances, does that count as Man Repeller revenue, or is that personal revenue? No,
2: that's personal revenue. Okay,
1: so that's different. So anytime Mm -hmm. you're doing something just on your own, that's outside of the company. Got it
2: which I started differentiating about a year ago when we started building out the team because I didn't want Man Repeller to exist or to survive and thrive solely based on the revenue that I was bringing in as talent. But I've taken a significant step back from the day-to-day editorial. I used to write at least two or three stories a day. I'm only writing like once a week these days and things are going really well. The site is, is only growing. So even though my identity is still quite tied to it, I think it's only a matter of time before people can start better associating with our other editors.
1: How do you keep individual editors from their aspirations of maybe becoming their own, having their own um, company identity outside of Man Repeller?
2: I think about that a lot. Uh, most of the... I think about that and and talk to friends about that a lot, friends and mentors. Running your own company is really hard. And leaving a job where you have a 401k and healthcare and a steady paycheck coming in to go off on your own is a very daunting decision to make that many people won't. And I always forget that because if I were in that position, I would totally take the leap, but... um, uh, th- th- that's one piece of it. The other is that I really try to foster community and practice what we preach in the office. You know, our retention rate is really high, which is great. It's also a small company. We're just 16 people, but so far retention rate fab. <laughs> you know, we, our biggest hiring spurt happened last year around August, September and you know, we hired an editorial director and started building out the sales team and I promoted someone internally to president and what I found is that because I was taking such a step back and it was so exciting at first because I was able to hover and, and sort of hold everything together in a way that was really comforting because I, I, had my, I was able to have my hand in so many different areas of the business. After a little while, it did start to feel a little bit disjointed like Man Repeller was losing a little bit of its soul and it started to feel a little bit watered down. And, and I was thinking about, you know, I, maybe, maybe this is because I'm a bit of a fatalistic thinker. I don't know if that's a Jewish <laughs> thing or just a me thing. But I was like, maybe Man Repeller is just not the kind of brand that can ever be bigger than a single person. You know, maybe I'm really good at monetizing myself and building up and promoting myself. But I'm in over my head trying to turn this into something that's bigger than me. But I realize that that's so silly and makes no sense. And every time you feel that sense of overwhelm, of you know, either ready to give in the towel, if that's your personality, or like that energy that propels you to the next step, the next level, I suppose, uh, is usually a product of the people you have hired. And so I, I, ha- I had to make a couple t- tough decisions this past summer where I sat down and thought really long and hard about every single person who worked at Man Repeller and whether or not they were contributing to the essence and the soul of the company or not. And we ended up letting go of like five people as a result of that and are, you know, rehiring and replacing for that. But it, that was an incredible learning experience as well.
1: And that's like, a th- that was probably like a third of your company at the time.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, and as just the, the sole CEO when you're making tough decisions like that? Um, you know, I think some of our other businesses, sometimes there are two founders or there's sort of a, a different sort of network that, that people can kind of lean on. How do you go about making those tough decisions and who do you bounce ideas off of? Uh,
2: my husband is really helpful with the emotional support piece of it, but you know, he's, he's so, I mean, he's great. He thinks about Man Repeller from the perspective of what is gonna make my wife feel the most satisfied, comfortable, and happy, and not necessarily what's gonna be best for the business. And every time I I have asked him to think about what's gonna be best for the business, I've been like, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, and he's like, you see? (laughs) (laughs) And he's probably right. I am helpful strategically for sure, but I know my weaknesses and my strong points and if I want Man Repeller to grow the way that I do, I'm gonna need. I will need help, and I'm comfortable giving up this role.
1: So I got some non-business questions. Mm-hmm. I'd love to ask. What's been the coolest thing about being a quote unquote influencer?
2: What's been the coolest thing about being an influencer? Um, it's been really reaffirming to have my my taste and my perspective applauded in such a wide capacity because, you know, sometimes I look back at my writing from when I was really young or the way that I used to dress and I was just dying so much to be heard, you know, like I would say anything to make another person laugh and I would wear anything to elicit a reaction and there there was just this sense of my trying really hard i was so desperate for attention and it's been it's been very uh self actualizing to uh, to have my my truest self applauded in such in such a public capacity i
0: think on top of just even the constructive and positive feedback it sounds like one thing that's got to be affirming are just the number of brands and people who want to be affiliated with you and want to either work with you or work with, you know, your brand in some capacity. Um, And how do you go about sort of picking and choosing which ones you want to work with too?
2: Yeah, that that to me feels more like peer recognition at this point Mm -hmm. because these are, I mean, these are all brands that I've worshipped since I was so young. And I remember that after the New York Times profiled me, this was like six months after I launched Man Repeller. My mom was like, you've made it. And I was <laughs> like, I have not made it until Chanel wants to work with me. <laughs> and when Chanel wanted to work with me, I thought I was gonna cry. That, it, wow. it was so great. It was, it was, it was very exciting and affirming because I'm such a fashion person. I love clothes so much. It's just, it's such a beautiful escape from the banality of your day. And it lets you slip in and out of all of these different identities at your will. It's like a temporary tattoo that continues to give. Um,
0: Well, even beyond um, some of the iconic brands like a Chanel, some of the work that you've been able to do with some of these emerging brands um, has been really interesting. How does that sort of... Is that just a passion for actually helping other entrepreneurs succeed? Is it more, I see a like-minded brand and I feel like there's something there?
2: Yeah, the majority of the emerging brand work that we've done has all been purely based on personal excitement about what they're doing and what they're building. And I have the platform and, and with the platform comes a responsibility, I feel, to support and promote the new interesting things that are happening and so that that feels like it's baked into the dna of man repellers working with smaller younger brands helping them get get their feet off the ground and we have been very helpful for a lot of brands and you know those testimonials are always extremely rewarding and satisfying to see the influencers of my generation came into this world or onto this scene really young maybe at 20 to 23 years old And so it could just be a function of growing up and discovering that your interests and wants are different from the path that you're on. And I know that was true for me. It didn't feel like enough, and it didn't feel fulfilling enough to just operate as an influencer. I felt like, you know, sometimes it made me feel like a show pony or a dancing monkey when I felt like I had so much more to give, and that was part of the impetus of building Man Repeller out, but um for the ones that haven't been able to grow or that aren't necessarily growing, there's, there's so much, there's so much um, like splintering off. You know, it's not enough to just be taking pictures of yourself, of course, but when you do splinter off, what are you splintering off and doing? Are you actually creating value or are you operating out of fear of losing your relevance? And you can often tell when people are operating out of fear, when they're building something just for the sake of having something else on their resume. And that's usually when the drop-off starts occurring. That's been a really big thing for me, is learning that you can't make decisions born out of fear.
0: Right after the break, we'll talk more with our guest, Man Repeller founder and CEO,
1: Leandra Medine. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can catch up on all of our episodes at unfinishedbiz.com and chat with us on Twitter at unfin biz. Subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or any podcast app of your choice. We're always looking for questions and suggestions, so reach out. And now, back to our episode with Man Repellers, Leandra Medine.
0: You know, in talking to a lot of entrepreneurs who we know and we've spoken to in the past, there's always been sort of a moment in time where they put everything on the line. Um, I kind of call it the bet the company moment Um, in your experience was there was there one singular moment where that happened or I don't
2: think I've had my bet the company moment yet Ah,
1: so
0: you think it's it's to come
2: Mm -hmm. interesting
1: but you have been through the journey for quite a bit and there's certainly highs and lows with every journey what's been the lowest point to date
2: the lowest points are always defined by a feeling of stasis you know, like, like we're not evolving anymore. Like we're not moving fast enough or quick enough. You know, I, you get so addicted to the growth and so excited by it. And the minute things start to settle into themselves, you're like, well, what's next? What's next? Or I feel that way.
1: And what was one of those? What's an example of one of those points where you felt that way?
2: I actually think we're inside of one right now. Ever since the um, the let go of those five employees earlier in the summer, I know that it was necessary and really important, but to the same point, it feels a little bit like a regression because that's a lot of people to let go of, and we're still in the process of rehiring into those roles. And so, you know, I look at the site and I look at the content, and I think, well, we're still publishing just between five and seven stories a day, and I want to be publishing like 15 times a day, and I want them all to be of. Incredible quality and I'm ready for us to to move beyond just the website and you know I I have these big ideas of what man repeller looks like More holistically in that, you know 360 capacity and we're just not there yet But because it's going to take time, but so it's that it's that stasis between growth spurts
1: But on the flip side has there been a notable high point for you
2: that New York Times profile was really exciting I remember I remember thinking that you know, even though I had this aspiration of working with Chanel someday, I remember thinking that if it didn't get better than that, it would be okay. But you did it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it's more than okay. That's good. Yeah.
2: I mean, I didn't mean it. These yeah. are just like the self-soothing things yeah. you tell yourself.
1: Yeah. But, but the, you know, every entrepreneur has these benchmarks and aspirations yeah. on on what it would be where they feel like they've crossed a a certain milestone or hurdle so
2: yeah i think i probably have to do a better job giving myself credit for the milestones it's so much easier for me to just you know look at the lack and never the gain but yeah growing man repeller outside of myself growing man repeller from a personal style blog run by one person to a, a tiny media company run by four to a little bit of a bigger media company run by 16 that's I mean, those are big and exciting moments that I can take three weeks off of work and come back and it's still moving along. And in fact, new initiatives are in progress. That's, I mean, what more can a person ask for?
0: So what's keeping you up at night these days?
2: Figuring out what the growth looks like. What is the next iteration of Man Repeller? How does it become more profitable? You know, how how do we grow and how do we do it in a really smart way? And who's helping me do it? Right.
1: You know, Rob, it's pretty crazy that Leandra's considering replacing herself as CEO. Mm -hmm. We've seen a bit of this story before with with founders stepping aside in some fashion. But for this one, it just seems kind of unique given the brand is so tied to her as a person. What do you think, man? You know, I don't know if it's a
0: surprise. I think it's more of an evolution. You know, I think we've seen this a bunch of times where I think the founder gets into the business because, you know, that person really loves doing a very particular thing. In this case, you know, she's a journalist at heart. And so I think that's really what she wants to go back to. Um, I think that she'll still obviously have a very big part within the business, but in terms of sort of the day-to-day management, I don't know if that's necessarily what she wants to be spending her time doing.
1: But speaking of time, it may give her more time to pursue an interesting hobby that she has. But we'll let her tell you more about that.
2: A funny thing about turning your passion outside of like traditional work into your work is that you come against a wall after your passion has really become work where you don't have passions anymore. So that happened with fashion and it hasn't really happened with writing because I do still journal and that's been really important for me and you know lately my journaling has been a little bit more about, you know, direction of business and what's the point and who are we serving and why are we serving them. But that that's that doesn't feel like work work to me. That feels like building, which is really exciting. And outside of that, I've become really interested in wellness. So, you know, meditation and yoga, and I'm kind of into sound baths. It's really interesting. You go and sit in a room and you're essentially lying down. You're like on a body pillow and uh, you have your eyes covered and someone is in the front of the room banging on these hollow I'm going to get this wrong, but there are these essentially these hollow bowls that are made from a very specific uh, crystal that only occurs in uh, like a, a very thunderous climate. And you meditate to the sound of these hollow dings.
1: Are you in a room by yourself or is it with a no, group? No, it's,
2: it's with a group.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. How, how long does this go for?
2: It depends on how long you want it to. You can okay. sign up for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 10 minutes.
0: All right, so we're gonna kick off rapid fire where we're gonna ask you 60 seconds worth of questions and really get to know you. Ready? Cool. All right. First thing you read every day is? New York Times. What's your favorite movie? Uh,
2: Pass. No, something's gotta give, I knew that one.
1: <laughs> Who's your celebrity crush?
2: Cindy Crawford.
1: Karaoke song you're most likely to belt out.
2: All I want for Christmas is you, no matter the time of year.
1: <laughs> your hometown is famous for? Bagels? What's your guilty pleasure?
2: Mmm. Eating, cere- eating cinnamon toast crunch cereal in bed while watching Friends reruns.
1: First car you ever drove? Mini coupe. Do you cl- recline on airplanes?
2: Yes.
0: If you could drink one thing for the rest of your life besides water, what would you choose?
2: Charcoal water. <laughs> I'm just kidding, probably rosé.
1: <laughs> what was your last New Year's resolution?
2: to give myself to do something for myself for 30 minutes every day
0: if you were stranded on an island and you could only bring one thing what would it be
2: probably a cell phone
1: what's the last hashtag you used
2: probably hi
1: where's the next place you'd like to travel Copenhagen if a movie was made of your life you'd be played by
2: Anne Hathaway I would hope
1: Talent you
0: don't have, but you wish you did.
2: Ability to think more thoroughly and longer term. Yeah. Hot damn.
0: Leandra Medine, everybody. Thanks for playing our
1: game. So, a lot of our audience are fellow entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for them?
2: Maybe this is not the best advice. <laughs> Maybe this is not the best advice. I to love give the caveat. A fellow entrepreneur. <laughs> that means it's
1: probably pretty good advice. Well,
2: it's just that one thing I always say is that unless you really, really, really cannot imagine starting your own company and working for yourself, and working twenty-six hours a day every single day, and feeling like your soul is being crushed nine out of ten times a week, if you can feel comfortable working for someone else, do that. Like be, starting your own thing and being an entrepreneur is really, really tough. And you can still, you can still be entrepreneurial within the context of someone else's organization. I just, and that's, that tends to be advice that I give to a lot of young women because there's so much emphasis on you know generation girl boss and starting your own thing. But there's so much success to be had and there's still so much fighting to be had in the workplace. And you don't have to start your own thing to fight your battles.
0: Leandra, thank you so much for being on Unfinished Biz.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Especially during Fashion Week.
2: Anytime, people. <laughs> anytime.
0: You've been listening to Unfinished Biz. I'm Robin. I'm Wayne. And we'll be back on the next episode with Bill Keith, founder and CEO of Perfect Bar, the incredible family business that almost didn't make it.
1: We took the family's life savings, that $100,000, and bought a flow wrapper machine for sixty five dollars We're talking about almost two-thirds of our life savings used up on a piece of equipment
0: with no retail um, to pay for. That's next time on Unfinished Biz. Unfinished Biz is a VMG Partners production. You can subscribe to our show for free in any podcast app of your choice. Send us questions, comments, and feedback on Twitter at unfin__biz and visit us at unfinishedbiz.com.